Hello, and welcome to the Teachers Inspire podcast. I'm Louise O'Neill, and I curate Teachers Inspire, which is organised and run by Dublin City University. We want to thank everyone who has nominated a teacher for our 2023 awards. Each one is so special, and I'm really looking forward to sharing some of them with you in the coming weeks. Being the curator of Teachers Inspire and hosting this podcast, I have discovered so much about DCU and what it offers its students and staff. DCU is unique when it comes to autism because in 2018 it became the world's first designated autism-friendly university and plans were announced to make it an even friendlier campus for autistic staff and students with the launch of phase two of the autism-friendly project. Here to tell you more about it is Fiona Early who is the autism coordinator in DCU and I am delighted to say that I am also joined by Kleena Harrison who is a DCU graduate and has a degree in computer science. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Fiona, will we start with you? Sure. We'll put you in the hot seat. Um, now, before I ask you about phase two, I suppose I'd like to know a little bit about what phase one involved and what actions DCU took to make the campus more autism friendly. Or what yeah. that even means, I suppose. What does it mean to make a space <laughs> more autism friendly? I think to make a space autism friendly means to make it people friendly. So it benefits everyone. Um, I suppose a lot of research went into trying to find out what would make a university autism friendly. That took about 18 months. And out of that came what you would call eight principles. So there are eight principles researched um, quite deeply. And from that, from those principles, comes the actual project. So there's around 42 actions related to each principle. So, for wow. example, one principle is um, to make the physical environment sensory friendly. So there's lots of things that we're doing in that space. But um, like, like what? Could you maybe just give me yeah, an example? So um, I suppose... The first thing that you do do is you create awareness around why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So we would create um, quiet spaces and also with the recognition that some people need sensory feedback. So quiet spaces aren't for everyone, okay. but it's easier to find a space that's loud and chaotic and university as opposed to a quiet space. So we also try and um, hand it over to the students. So student societies, if they're holding, um, say, Freshers' Day mm -hmm. or big events, at this stage, it's four years into the project, but like a default is now to have a quiet hour. Oh, yeah, and actually what's what's been found is um, when there is a Freshers' Day and there's quite hour from one until two. So Freshers' Day is where um, all clubs and societies have a stand yeah. and it's where you go if you want to chat about a society yeah. or a club and join up. So when they started creating the quiet hour, say from one until two, what they discovered was that the, the sign up was much higher for every single society oh, then that's, because that's so interesting yeah not everyone wants to or or can cope with um, yeah. loud noisy environments and DJ sock pumping things out I mean that sounds nightmarish to me yeah uh, you know so I can I can I can really empathize with that yeah so yes just just add there's hopefully yeah. been more of the clubs and socks days or the freshest days uh, where the stands are outside rather than they used to kind of exclusively be within the venue or 
the sports hall, which when you pack a couple hundred people into it for two days straight, it kind of gets a bit overwhelming and warm. Okay, so Kleena, you would say that having them outside makes a big difference. Yeah, definitely. And so there's generally a, a marquee over the stands. So even if it rains, it's yeah. not too bad. I love it. Irish weather. We must be, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we must be aware of it at all times. Um, so then Fiona, like with phase two, like, is that what you're in at the moment? or? Yeah. So while, while phase one was um, really identifying what supports whether there are different or more supports autistic students needed. It was, it was very student focused. Mm-hmm. So it was around, um, academic and social supports and really creating awareness of how it might feel. So like a neurodivergent student or staff trying to, um, operate and succeed in yeah. a, university environment that that's not set up and where there's not awareness. So a lot of the work in phase one was about raising awareness to like how people communicate differently and how maybe neurotypical students perceive it. They might perceive um, somebody as quite direct or blunt and it's simply a different communication Mm -hmm. norm. So a lot Mm -hmm. of it was awareness raising. And I think because there was quite a lot of awareness raising, it came to the attention of autistic staff. So would there be many um, autistic staff in DCU or? There are many more autistic staff than will ever disclose Mm -hmm. because um, people, autistic staff may be afraid of stigma or anything related to, um, again, lack of awareness. Mm. So I'm sure there's that there's a lot of autistic staff in any academic setting because many autistic students have a a really deep and fast passion for for study Mm. and and they thrive in academia if the conditions are set for them to thrive. Um, I think many autistic students will say to me that they've been really passionate and studying their subject since the age of five. So by the time they get to university, like they are way ahead of their peers (laughs) and sometimes like way ahead of their, their lecturers. Oh, wow. And yeah. And some, some then just stay in an academic setting. But over the last two years, more and more autistic staff contacted the Mm. the project and, you know, they were like, um, so, you know, what happens if I want to stem during a lecture? You know, yeah. there's all this awareness around, yeah. um, conditions for success for students. But like, what about, what about my conditions for succeeding as, yeah. as an employee? So that's yeah. why we introduced, um, the ninth principle. And that's to build capacity across the university to support autistic staff. Yeah. Because I have found that really interesting just on a sort of an anecdotal level, like the amount of people that I know personally, particularly women who over the last couple of years have been diagnosed kind of late in life. Um, It's it's been I think there's just so much more awareness that probably particularly with women, I think that just wasn't there when when we were in school. And I know that DCU has partnered with um, As I Am. What do you think that partnership will bring to students? So as I am, we're part of the, uh, the, they were the beginning of the project. So the founder of that, um, Adam Harris, who's autistic, he tried university and, um, at that time it, it didn't suit him. So he had a good knowledge of, um, 
why universities need to become more autism friendly. The reasons why this project were created really were because of the high um, unemployment within the autistic community. And that's regardless of qualification. So there's a really high unemployment and underemployment mm-hmm. and education was a way to to address that. So as I am, um, help us, there are partners in the project. So they do a lot towards accrediting the project, making sure that we're delivering on what we said we would deliver on. Mm. And they're also spreading the network. So I think there's four other universities in Ireland now signed up to the network, which makes it easier for us to, I suppose, develop and create because we're now part of a network of autism friendly yeah. universities. So how many, because I know that um, it said here that you were the first in 2018. How many yeah. are there in Ireland or, or, or across the world? So do you know? Well, I know in Ireland there's four now right. and those four are um, accredited, but as I am, now that's not to say at all that other universities aren't autism friendly, mm. but these universities just happen to be part of the network. And I suppose, and Kleena, you'll agree that DCU, like, it's certainly not autism friendly, but it's more autism friendly than it was four years ago. And more to the point, we know what needs to be done to to make it more autism friendly. Um, And Kleena, like, was the fact that DCU was designated um, as an autism friendly university, was that part of the reason why you chose to go there or like, and I suppose, how did you find the transition then from secondary school to DCU? So actually I started college before it became oh. an autism friendly university. very young looking. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I got confused. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm 26. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Afterwards, we must talk about the skincare routine, <laughs> but now we will focus on these yeah. important questions. <laughs> actually having a bit of a baby face is an autistic trait. Oh, really? Yeah, God, I'm learning so much. It's still good idea everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it didn't really factor into my decision to choose DCU, but also uh, before I started college, I didn't know I was autistic. Yeah. I was actually diagnosed because of DCU. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, How did that come about? So I was diagnosed when I was 21, which I think was, yeah, about late t- 2019. Yeah. Um, which... When I was in my first year of college, I went to the counselling service uh, because I was struggling with mental health a little bit um, and struggling with kind of the workload and timelines and kind of managing everything. Yeah. Um, and that really helped. Um, and then because I was signed up to the counselling, there was a trainee occupational therapist. They were reaching out to everyone who was kind of signed up to see if they'd be interested in occupational therapy sessions. Um because normally you'd need a diagnosis to uh, attend the occupational therapy, at least at that time. Yeah. Um, so I got to go and I kept going because the occupational therapy really, really helped. Mm. Um, and it was my occupational therapist that realized that I was autistic and helped me get the diagnosis. Wow. And did, did that like, did it feel like a lot of things from like your childhood were suddenly sort of sloshing into place or? Yeah, it's. It's really, really hard to describe because I am the same person as I was before the diagnosis, yeah, but not, but also completely not. It was an absolute paradigm shift. So many things made more sense, as well as just being able to look back on things and kind of view it with this new lens. Because getting the diagnosis didn't really change a huge amount, aside from being able to access uh, 
supports in, in college. What really changed was knowing myself and knowing mm. uh, why things were happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really helpful. Yeah. So I suppose thinking about, you know, like as we've been speaking about here, like the commitment and the the time and, you know, this the resources that DCU has put into being like autism friendly. Like, do you think that that has been effective? And I suppose, do you think that it sends like a message to people about you know, um, acceptance and, and equal opportunities when it comes to their, you know, let's say students to their autistic peers. First off, just want to say that I'm immensely grateful for everyone who's been involved in these kinds of projects because everyone I've, I've encountered has been seemingly tireless doing their best to ensure that every neurodivergent student gets what they need as well as educating others about neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think it does send a message of acceptance and equal opportunities. And I think the effect of it is equitable opportunities. So Mm. having those supports kind of brought me to a similar level as my neurotypical classmates in terms of enabling me to function in the environment that is college. Yeah. Um, And it does send a message of acceptance, but there's, there are more factors there. Um, because I think acceptance is really a feeling and mm. there's still probably some ways to go in, in terms of not just DCU, but society in general mm. uh, for autistic people feeling accepted as a whole. And, and what do you think those steps are? Really, like awareness is a part of it um, because it's kind of like um, when you see a childhood bully posting on social media about bullying awareness week or something like that and you're kind of looking at it going you can say that but your actions don't really mm-hmm. reflect it and it can be a similar thing with autistic acceptance in that people will say they accept autistic people and they will have some knowledge of what that means mm-hmm. but then people who encounter an autistic person behaving autistically will not have that yeah. reaction. Yeah. What we know autism to be if from from media and from I guess what people just pick up in general in life isn't the reality of it. Mm. For example, like I didn't know I was autistic. I didn't know anything mm-hmm. beyond the basics from media that was largely incorrect until mm. I knew myself I was autistic. Yeah. So it's it's definitely going to be a slow process and a lot of awareness, but a lot of things like the work that DCU is doing will really help. And do you feel that your time in DCU has prepared you um, for the future? Or like, do you think that there's anything else that like DCU and other universities can be doing to, I suppose, make the transition from secondary school to third level education that much more accessible to um, autistic students? My my time at DCU has definitely prepared me for kind of the real world or the world of employment, the world of uh, taxes and mortgages and all that. (laughs) Wow. I'm 12 years older than you. I still don't feel prepared for any of that. So maybe I need oh, to go back to DCU. <laughs> definitely, definitely not fully prepared. But um, with, with the with the idea of managing those kinds of things, yeah. um, more so than school prepares you. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I actually, I find college societies helped with that a lot. I, I served on a committee for my entire time in college. Which um, um, society were you part of? Uh, Redbrick, the networking society. So, oh, great. Yeah. Um, and that was wonderful, but it was, it, that really helped me with kind of working with others and teamwork. And I think one of the biggest things I learned was that both flexibility and rigidity are needed and knowing when to choose which one is is definitely a skill yeah. um and i think what universities can do is kind of encouraging autistic students to take part in those kinds of things while also mm-hmm. encouraging other students or neurotypical students to be accepting and to know mm-hmm. any changes that might need to be made like the quiet hour and things like that yeah because that kind of collaborative work around an interest, in in my experience, works a lot better for me than kind of the, the forced college projects and things like that. It's really interesting, obviously, to hear that from Kleena's perspective. Um, and Fiona, you know, listening to Kleena, like, I suppose, what do you think that, you know, you can be, you know, not you, <laughs> you as a person, <laughs> but I suppose that DCU and other universities can do, to, I suppose, just to make the campus as autistic friendly as possible. And again, to facilitate that transition from secondary school um, to third level, which I think is challenging for all students, um, but obviously, you know, particularly for neurodivergent students. Yeah, I think a big thing, uh, and it's it's something that isn't, uh, there's no cost, but it's valuing difference. Mm. Um, like there's so many autistic staff and autistic students that I know, as I was saying, that are really deeply committed to mm. um, to their subject. And actually, there's this kind of myth that autistic students all go and study maths or engineering or network. But there is um, a huge um, number of students doing nursing, mm. um, environmental studies. Mm. Um, and, and I think that could be to do with and I'm only thinking, but like a, a passion to, um, to fix things, to fix things okay, in society. And, and that's why that they're very passionate for, you know, with any of those subjects related to justice or law mm. and, and nursing and teaching. But if we want to retain autistic staff and autistic students, we need to value that commitment and passion and immense knowledge more so than judging people for yeah. not conforming to what society thinks is a way to communicate yeah. or or a way to dress or behave or yeah. sit or anything like that. That yeah. it's it's about valuing difference yeah. more so than that person seems a bit different and why is that and how can yeah. we fix that difference yeah that's not it's a difference that you that you want to to flourish because there is um a huge issue called masking or or yes. passing and and that's why staff are having burnout and yeah. students are dropping out because they feel i need to go on to campus today and act neurotypical yeah. that's not sustainable yeah yeah, that's not sustainable, and and that's due to, um, obviously a person wouldn't feel that unless they felt judged or, of course, um, yeah. And again, I suppose that comes blunders. down to the yeah. awareness, as you were saying, Kleena, like a more understanding of yeah, difference. You know, yeah, and I I love that because really it comes down to empathy and 
compassion. And I think just as a whole, as a society, we need so much more of that. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Fiona. And thank you so much, Kalina. That was just a really interesting conversation. And thank you for being part of the Teachers Inspire podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Now, remember, you can find out more about Teachers Inspire and you can keep up to date on the awards at teachersinspire.ie. And while you're there, you'll find links to other episodes of the podcast or you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.